Good morning. Good morning. As Peter said last week, Alec Larson spoke, and this morning Pam said to me, wow, you're going to speak after Alec Larson, are you? And uh, yeah, it's a bit daunting because he was very, very good, and I know he touched a lot of people here. It touched my heart with his words and that he spoke. Um, but the Word of God transcends mankind. The Word of God is far beyond that, so he can speak through a mere mortal like me to you, and he can speak through anyone to us. And, but if I remember right, he spoke about two things. He spoke about um, stop what you value for. And he talked about stopping for a penny or not stopping for a 20-cent piece these days. But he spoke to a lot of us about that. And he threw a word in there that he said, don't despise the small things. And that was part of it. And he also said, be ready in and out of season. I think if you remember, he said something about... Um, be prepared to share the word of God at any point. And when he spoke that, I thought, well, if somebody asked me right now to preach, what would I preach on? And I knew what I, I knew what I was to preach on at that point. Well, anyway, Tuesday this week, Peter sent me a note and said, Dan, would you preach this week? And I said, yes, I know what I'm going to preach on. I didn't tell Peter that, but it really follows on from don't despise the small things. See, it's to know and value what you have. Know and value what you have, and it will lead to it will, it will lead to be an overcoming life. Oh, it's up. Good. Thank you. So know and value what you have. Oh. Yeah. And you shall overcome. So what I want to do is I want to read Second Kings. It's a story. It's a story about Elisha and a woman. I just want to read it through first. We'll just re all read the scriptures, 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. We'll read that through and then we'll go back and look at it. Now they cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his bondmen. And Elijah said, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your handmaiden, your maidservant, has nothing in the house except a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbours, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have done that and returned to your home, you shall shut the door behind you but sorry, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons. And they brought the vessels to her and she poured out into the empty vessels. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. And the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay the debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Uh, I've been enjoying, lately I've been reading some of the stories of Elisha and Elijah. And this is one about Elisha. And they're powerful and they've got huge truths in them and many layers of truths. 
But you see, the woman there, often in the Bible, if it speaks about a woman, it speaks about the church. And it speaks about us because we are members of the church. So all the men here, when they're speaking about a woman, it's applying to you as well. It's applying to us. A woman came. Now this woman, she was the wife of, it says, the sons of the prophet. And she's obviously got dire straits because her husband has died and left her with a debt. And so she comes to Elijah and expresses that. But what's important here is how she comes to Elijah. Or Elisha, sorry. You see, she comes with a worldly view. She comes with a very worldly view. She's looking at her problem. And just notice how she comes. First she says, your servant. Because the sons of the prophet was like a guild in a sense. It's like being in an engineering body. If you're a group of engineers, I can be a certified engineer and so are all the other engineers in the city. Or like a nursing body. A group of nurses, they all belong to the New Zealand Nurses Association in a sense. And so she's coming to one who is eminent in that. Elijah was the senior prophet of the land. So it's like a nurse going unto the senior nurse who rules over the nurses and saying to them something. She's not relying on blood here because obviously her family hasn't helped her. Obviously her friends aren't helping her. Obviously the synagogue is not helping her. You see, they were supposed to. If you read Deuteronomy, it says that every three years the Jewish people were supposed to lay up a tenth of what they had and that was for the Levites, it was for those that visited, it was for those who were fatherless and it was for the widows and so they could eat. But she finds herself in a situation where those around her aren't helping her. There's nothing. There's not nothing there. So they're falling down, failing miserably in a sense, but that's nothing to do with her. She hasn't got, she, she's got a debt she can't meet. She's starving. We'll come to that in a minute. But her friends and her family's not helping her. It doesn't say whether she's got family. I have no idea. But they're obviously not helping her. Why would she go to the prophet? So she's gone to, listen, she says, your servant. Said she, he, 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 he's a prophet. She's the wife of the sons of the prophet. She says, my husband is dead. And then she throws in this other little bit. You know your servant feared the Lord. She's talking her husband up a bit now. He left her with a debt. But she's going to make him in a good light because she wants help because she wants that debt gone. She's appealing to him in a very worldly way. In her heart, she's saying, what can, how can this man help me? And I've got to get some help because nobody else has helped me. I, I spoke here last, about a few weeks ago, and I talked about, again, was the story of Elisha. And I talked about the captains of 50 and they were, their approach to Elisha. And if you remember, three captains were sent by Azariah the king. And he sent them up to Elijah. And each one of them came and said, O man of God. The first one said, O man of God, come down. The king wants you. And, God, and Elisha said, If I'm a man of God, <laughs> send down fire on him. And they were just consumed and dead. And the second one said much the same because their heart was very worldly. And a worldly heart leads to death. Oh, man of God, the second one said, come down quickly. He's now telling the man of God what to do. 
He didn't really mean man of God when he said it. Came out of his mouth, that's his title, but he didn't in his heart. The third one, though, came up and said, oh, man of God, have mercy upon me. Just have mercy and just find, let our lives be precious in your sight. He had a totally different view of this man of God. And when he said man of God, he actually meant, Elisha, you are a man of God and what you speak comes to pass, so just have mercy upon us. See, three captains, but they had a different view in their heart, even though they said the same thing. So in this case here, the woman says, she calls to Elisha, Elisha, but she's really coming in a very worldly way. So Elisha answers her and says, what shall I do for you? Now, it's a rhetorical question. Because Elisha wants to shift. He knows she's come, but he sees that she comes worldly, and he wants to shift her from that worldly view to walk spiritually, to have a spiritual view of what's happening in her life. The The church can walk worldly today. We can have an issue and we can see this issue and think, what are we going to do about this issue? But God wants us to see it with spiritual eyes. He wants us to walk spiritually. It says in Romans 6, 8, 8, 6, Romans 8, chapter 6, I think it is, it says, he who's to be carnally minded or to be worldly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. And so while this woman will stay in her worldly mindset, She will only reap death. She won't reap anything of value in life. Whereas if she has a spiritual view, she'll start to reap life. So what's Elijah saying? He says, what shall I do for you? See, he's not going to go and get money out of his bank account and give it to her. He possibly could have. I don't know if Elisha had money or not. But he's not going to do that. He could have gone to to the, the debtor the man who's going to come and take his servants away and said, listen, just hold off for a few years and let her get back on her feet. And he could have done a deal with them. I mean, those are all natural, worldly things he could have done. He could have gone to a few of his other folks that he knows about, because Elijah was well known, and he said, listen, I'd like you to go and give a bit of money to that woman. And they would have probably, even if they're just a bit scared of Elisha, would have gone and done it. But he wasn't doing that because those are worldly type things. He saw that she needed to change from being worldly to spiritual. And so he asked her that question. Then he asked her another question, which is probably, well, just going back to that rhetorical question, because Jesus did the same when he was wanting to shift people's views from being worldly or not. He was preaching once, and he had a crowd around him in the house, and everybody was clamoring, and he was preaching them. And then they came to him, and it's told in Matthew 12, 45. And I'll just read it. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brother are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who are my mother and brothers? Then pointing to his disciples, he said, these are my mothers and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, he was shifting them from a worldview because when Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? I mean, they would have looked at Jesus and said, what's wrong with this guy? He doesn't even know his mother and brothers. Has he forgotten them? They're outside calling for him, waiting for him to come out. But he knew that. That's the worldview. He said, there's a much more important principle here. 
It's the spiritual view. Who are my mother and brothers? And he looked at his disciples and said, you are my mother and, bro- my, my mother and brothers and sisters. And you know that applies to us as the church today. Spiritually, who are my brothers and brothers? Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? God has put you here for a purpose, if nothing more, to be my sister and brother. But it's much more than that. I say that with a smile. It's much more than that. But you are, and I'm yours. You're not here by chance. You might say, oh, I've just chosen to come to this church. That's what you think. God has placed you here. You're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. And God has purposes for you. And Peter shared, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the purposes I have for you, saith the Lord. I know them. He has them for us. And they are in this house, for this house, by this house. This house being the, not this building, but the spiritual church of God. In this house, not for the church in England. He hasn't placed you here because of a church in England or a church in Russia or a church down the line in Christchurch. He's placed you here for this church here right now in this time to be my brother and sister so that we together fulfill the purposes of God for this house. But you see, we can't apprehend and see those things that God has for us unless our eyes are opened, unless the mind and eyes of our heart start to see the things of the spirit rather than the things of this world. If we don't do that, we won't, we'll miss it. See, the whole, the, the, the whole this, is the, this is the crux, and I'm just dwelling on this because this is the crux of the story. This woman had to have her mindset changed. You see, the, in the Old Testament we read, they sent out the nation of Israel, and he said, go out and kill that nation and kill every one of them. Every one of them. And we sit here thinking, whoa, terrible. What is he doing? But you see, the nations were not the nation of God. It was outside of God. It was sin. To us today, it represents sin. And God says, I want you to kill every sin in your life. Kill it completely. Don't save the good the little ones. Don't save the ones that you like. See, Saul went out and he saw some fat sheep and some nice oxen and he kept those ones. And he lost his kingdom because of it. He kept some that he reasoned were quite good. But God said, no, 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 there's no good sin. You might delight in that bit of sin. You might think it doesn't count for much. You might even find justification in the Bible to give you reasons to believe if you twist the words and you can carry on like that, but you can't. God says, kill every sin in your life. That's the example from the Old Testament. Israel, they walked through the Red Sea on dry earth, the walls. You've seen the photos, uh, not the photos, the pictures they draw the Red Sea on either side, and down they went, and they went across and came up the other side. The Egyptian army followed them, and the water came down and swamped them. He speaks to us, directly to us. He says, be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Why are we to walk through the waters of baptism? Why? So that the enemy coming after us is swallowed up by the Red Sea. We're to be baptized. There's a, there's a truth the first the natural in the Old Testament, 
spiritual application in the New Testament. And you'll find all the way through the Old Testament, when you find truths, you'll find there's a spiritual application to it, us today. Then the Old Testament, they were told to give 10% of what they earned. They owned what they earned, but they had to give 10% to the church. In the New Testament, they had to freely give. Freely give that which God gives them freely. Because in the New Testament, 100% of it is God's, and I am to freely give it back to him with abundance, with a joyful heart, no longer under compulsion saying, well, this is the duty, I'll do it as my 10%, it's the duty, that's what I will do, that's following the law. No, over here I give. I give as God prompts me. And I give joyfully and freely. And God says, oh, you come to that place and you'll find it will pour through you. And I'll open the heavens above you to pour it through you because you've grasp the concept, you've grasped, you've changed from a worldly view to a spiritual view. See, there's all these applications of first in the natural, then in the spiritual. See, our Lord just said to him, when he says to that, what, what his first one, he says, what shall I do for you? He's really saying, I can't do anything for you. I'm, as a man, I can't do anything. I'm not willing to do anything. I don't want to do anything for you. I want to change your worldview. I want to change your view of being worldly to spiritual, and then you'll start to be an overcomer. Because if I do something for you and you stay still seeing it worldly, yeah, I might, I might allay that temporary stress upon you. But sure enough, in a year's time, it'll come back to you, and you still won't know how to overcome. You still won't know how to walk through. He knew that you'll only have a life of being an overcomer if she sees and apprehends God. And you can only do that by your spirit. See, I can't do it by just reading this book. I've got to read this book. But I can't do it by just reading the book. I can go to Bible college and I can come to an understanding of things. It tells me that the Holy Spirit comes in me when I'm saved and I might understand it all here. But until I see it, until I apprehend these truths in my heart, I'm, working, I'm walking worldly and naturally. And God wants me to see it and apprehend it in my heart so that it becomes truth to me. And in my spirit, I know. And in my spirit, I have life. And then I have life abundantly. So Elijah wants her, Elisha, sorry, wants her to be an overcomer. So then he asks her a very telling question. He says, tell me. What do you have in the house? See, in the house, what does the house represent? Your spirit. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? That's the spiritual application of a house. For the church, we are the house. For us individuals, my spirit is my house. What do I have in the house? And she gave a very worldly view. She hasn't moved at all at this point. She says, oh, I don't have anything. What does she actually say? She, she's still back in this, I'm your maidservant. I want something from you. So she lowers herself and pleads to him. I'm your maidservant. I have nothing in the house except a pot of oil. I've got a little pot of oil, but it's really not much use to me. I need your help. Now, we know what the oil represents. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so she's 
not so much despising the small things, but she doesn't understand the value of what she has. You see, the house speaks of our spirit, it speaks about our relationship with God. What's my relationship with God? What's your relationship with God? You're facing these things. What's your relationship with God? Because it's out of your relationship with God that the answers will come for you to be an overcomer. It won't come from the bank account of me or somebody else coming and lending you a hand for the weekend. That might fix your immediate problem up. Somebody's got an overgrown section. They're crying out, somebody help me. Sure, I'll go around and mow their lawns. But that just fixes a natural problem in a natural way for a short period of time. I can guarantee you, if you look at that person's life, they will have overgrown sections in a year's time and they will still be needing a help in a year's time. Elisha sees this in this woman and she want, he wants to change her view, so he asks her, what have you got? You see, she could have answered. She could have walked in and she said, what have I got in the house? Oh, Elisha, I've got the Holy Spirit within my house. And he's mighty and powerful and able to overcome all things. And then she could have done what our little five-year-olds do. My God is so strong. My God is so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you, for me. He could have, she, could have, he, she could have declared that and meant it. But she couldn't because she didn't know it. So she couldn't say it. I've got, I've got nothing, just a little pot of oil. So then he says to her, and, he's, and this is doing all this to bring her to a place of changing her where she's at. He wants to bring her to a place, you know, where she's content in him, no matter what her circumstances are. And you might say, whoa, that's pretty tough. But it's true. You see, Paul declared that. He says, listen, I'm content in my God, whether I abound in much or whether I abound in little. Whether I'm getting, whether I'm getting flogged one week or whether I'm getting honored the next week by the, by the church with giving them me gifts. He says, I am satisfied and I walk contentedly with joy in my heart. When Paul was at a city, and I forgot what the city was when that woman was prophesying over him or speaking behind him, she was um, vexed with the spirit, and he turned and cast the woman out. And the men were upset with him, so they took him to the magistrate and he got flogged. And when they flogged people, they had whips and they flogged you. I mean, they flogged you properly. And he's sitting in prison. And he worships God, him and Silas. And the earthquake comes, and, it, and, 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 and then he stays, and he witnesses to the jailer, and the jailer gets saved. And then he goes out, he's released. And the next night, you know what? He still had all the marks on his back, and they still needed ointment to be put on them. God just didn't heal him and say, no, no, you walk perfectly. So when somebody else is putting the ointment on him and it's hurting and he's wincing as they're putting the ointment on, you know what? In his heart, he had peace and satisfaction. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. I will remain satisfied whether my God allows me to be flogged or not. And even though the aftermath of that flogging is still welts upon my back that needs ministering to probably for about two or three weeks until they healed, he walked forward with a declaration of his lips about how contented and joyful that he was, he was finding his walk in God because in his spirit he had a, such a satisfaction of knowing his God that those physical things did not detract from the knowledge of his God. He was walking with his spiritual eyes open rather than walking in the world where he'd look on his back and say, oh, God made me go through this and I'm not happy and oh, it's sore and complaining. We don't find them. We find them declaring the opposite. Peace and joy and confidence in his heart through all kinds of trials and tribulations. Oh, he's a man who knew his purpose. He knew God, what God had placed him for for that hour. He was on a shipwreck. The ship was being wrecked. Everybody was panicking. The sailors were panicking. The captain was panicking. Those who weren't sailors were panicking even worse. And Paul said, don't worry. God has me to go to Rome. And he's going to deliver us all off the ship and not one of you will be drowned. They would have looked at him like he was bonkers. Who is this guy? He's not even a sailor. And yet the truth of the story was they were all delivered off that ship onto the shore and not one of them was drowned. Why? Because Paul knew his purpose. He knew his purpose in God. So he says to her, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And that's the first testing of putting into her faith. He said, come on, go. Go and don't gather just a few. It's pretty simple. He wasn't asking her to go and do anything great. Go to your neighbours and ask for some empty pots. I could ask most of you here to go and do that. And you think, not too hard. Do you have any pots that I could borrow, please? Are they empty? I can't take anything with anything in them. And the person would say, sure, I've got one or two lying around. Now, she's told not to, don't just collect a few. So she might have had to go to a few door, a few neighbours. But if she persisted, as I could ask any one of you to, you'd end up with quite a few. So that was the first test of her faith, would she do that? But there's something she was asked to Give, and they were to be empty vessels. You see, the empty vessels here represent to the church, for the church, those who had come to the church who are unsaved but are to be ministered to. And there's a key in that for us, and there's a warning and a caution in that. Make sure they're empty. Make sure they're empty. Don't waste your time ministering to vessels that are half full. Personal example. Oh, many years ago now, 20 years ago now, I think it was in the Pastor Rob's time, 30, 40 years ago, a long time ago now. There was a couple in the church. They'd come to the church. They weren't married, but they were intending to get married. And they came to our home group, and somehow Pam and I started to minister to them. And they would come round to our household. 
And one of the things I said to them was, listen, God wants you. He's got his hand on your lives, but you need not to be sleeping together while you should stop sleeping together till God takes you to a time of marriage. You need to repent from that and stop and then go forward. And we continued ministering. And I used to wonder why we were seeing no fruit. And the reality was I met the man many years later and he never stopped sleeping with his then girlfriend. He did get married and then they broke up and they went in different ways. But the issue was I was ministering into a half full pot. There was lots of things wrong in their lives but the one thing God had spoken to me to tell them was to separate yourselves physically until the marriage date. And they never did. And so I found myself ministering into a half full pot but Elisha said there, Elisha says, find the empty pots. Don't take half full ones. Find those that are prepared to hear the word of God. Not those that are here want to hear half the word of God. Because the word of God will no good, do no good if it's mixed. It won't do any good when it pours in. And he says, and when you have done that, return to your home, and you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and shall pour out into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. What a promise. What a promise. That, that's, that's miraculous stuff. The woman would have been going, what? I just wanted this guy to pay my debt off, and now what he's doing, he's telling me I'm going to get vessels, and that little pot of oil, which I know it's not very big, I'm going to pour it into those jars, and it's just it's going to fill them up. Amazing. And then you've got to shut the door, he said. And that ties back to Alec Larson's message. What are you prepared to stop for? See, shutting the door. I go into my house and shut the door. In Matthew 8, in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 3, 4, and 16, it goes from 1 to 18, actually. But I'll just read you some. He said, when you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't do that so that you are giving in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It says in verse four, 6, and when you pray, don't stand on the street corners and pray big loud prayers so everybody can hear you. He says, but when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And he says, when you fast, don't walk around saying, oh, I'm fasting, five days fasting. Oh, man, I'm doing it good, I'm fasting. No, he says, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, and don't let people know you fast. And he says, your Father in heaven will see you in secret, and he will reward you. So God wants us to shut the door and to come to him by ourselves. See, Elisha didn't do anything. Elisha told her to do it. He didn't say, listen, I'll pray for you. Come forward, I'll pray for you. Lay hands on her, pray a mighty prayer over her, and send her on away. He wanted her to change her view. And so he said, you've got to do a couple of things. You've got to go and collect some vessels. Now it gets the difficult part. You've got to shut the door. Remember Alec Larson said, that which we value, do we value prayer? Am I prepared to stop for prayer for the penny? Am I prepared to stop for ministry? Am I prepared to stop to read the word of God regularly? 
often? Do I value it? Do I value what I have? So I've got a few of these in my home. This one was given to me by, by my uncle, who's my auntie died. He came to me at the funeral and said, oh, you're a religious man. And your auntie had a Bible, so would you like the Bible? I said, well, thank you, Uncle Max. I didn't know what quite to say with that. He was trying at his heart to be kind, and he had to clean out my auntie's flat. She lived in a little flat in Whangarei. And so he found the Bible, and he said, well, Dan Ogle, I think he goes to church a lot. So I think I'll give this to him. Now he's giving it to my other cousins, other nephews, he thought. They didn't even go to church. So... At least my testimony in some ways was seen. But it was a... I've got Bibles around in my house. A number of them I've collected over the years. But do I value them? Well, you'll soon know if you put a little GoPro on me and watched me. You'll soon know. It won't take you four, four days and you'll soon know. He hasn't opened it once. If you might say to yourself, doesn't value it very much. I'd say, yes, I do. I value the word of God. And you say, well, show me by your actions. Show me by your actions. See, his word is, these living scriptures are such full of promises. I mean, that woman there said, wow, what a promise. Get the vessels and pour into those vessels and they'll be filled. A tremendous promise. I don't know how many in here. Thousands of similar promises in here. Thousands of similar promises, just as outstanding, just as amazing. But do they live in here or do they live in here? That's the question. It's the question I have of you, I have a question of me, but I have of you as well. Do they live in here, those promises, or do they live alive in my life? So I, I, I can go to Bible college and I can recite them for you. I can write them all out for you. I can tell you, and that's nothing against Bible college, don't, don't get me wrong, it's probably the only place that we'd learn, learn them all. But the question is, have I dwelt on them and have I meditated on them and have I come in that secret place in my prayer time and my reading and meditating time for it to give birth within my heart and I actually believe it? Do I actually believe it? Or can I just recite it to you and say, is this what the Word of God says? Or do I actually believe it in here and be prepared to die for it and be prepared to say, even as like Job did, naked I come into this world, naked I go out, but I will not curse my God. I will declare that he is Lord of my life even though he taketh my life. Because Job had come to a place of knowing it was such a truth that it did not matter whether God performed it in his circumstances or not because he knew his God was faithful to him. And if God saw enough, like Stephen, to allow Stephen's life to be taken, that's fine by Stephen. Stephen, as he died, lifted up his eyes to the Lord and said, Lord, don't hold this against their account. Forgive them. He didn't cry out, Lord, stop this death coming upon me. He knew God knew what he was doing. His confidence in such and his satisfaction in such was such in God that he still looked at the other people and cried out for them in his very hour of need because he trusted his God to look after him.
just going back a little bit, because I missed it, what debt did she have? And you're going to tell me, well, don't you read it? She had a debt and they were going to come and take, and, and they were allowed by law to do this, you see. If somebody owed you a debt and couldn't pay it, you're allowed to take things out of their house, and if they didn't have enough in their house, you can take their children, and they can come and work for you as a bond servant. They had to work for you long enough until that debt was paid off. You call it a slave, but it's a bond servant, because after every 50 years, they had a year of jubilee, and you had to let them go then. And you also had to let them go, if they only owed you $100, you might only have them for a, a week. But if they owed you $10,000, you'd have those kids for five years until they paid it off. And they were allowed to do that. But what was their debt? What's the debt of the church? What's, your and I, what's our debt? You see, we might owe debt to somebody, but that's of the world. Not discounting it, it's real have to pay my mortgage, I have a debt, I've got to pay it. But what's my spiritual debt? What's your spiritual debt? Do you know it? What debt do you owe Christ? You see, you don't owe him a debt for salvation that was freely given. It was 100% free. It was given freely. You don't owe a debt because you have the Holy Spirit within you, because he was given freely. No charge. But the debt we have, Paul explained it. He says, I have a debt unto the nations of the world to share the gospel. He says, I have a debt to Christ, but I have a debt even to those people who have not heard. I have a debt unto them. He also said, not he also said, but it also says in the Bible, and it's written in John, the other debt I have because of Christ is to love one another. I am to love the others in the body of Christ as Christ loved the church. I'm to love them. So my debt to Christ is to love others and to share the gospel. That's the debt the church is being asked. That's the debt that is over the church. And that's the debt that the church must pay. And if the church must pay it, we, as members of this church, must pay it. We have a debt to pay to share the gospel and to love others, to love others of the church, of the household of God. I should clarify that. Okay? Now, I am to love others and Christ loves all men, and I am, but his call of debtship, in a sense, is for the church. And I am to love those in the church and not see any one of those have an issue that can't be solved. I'm to go out of my way to love them and restore them and to bring them to a place before God as my brother and sister in the Lord. As we would do with our normal blood brothers and sisters, if you have a family that is tight and close, if you have a family that's split apart, don't take this because you'll have it in the wrong way. But if you have a family that's tight and close and you read about someone or if you're part of one, you do anything for your brother or your sister. You lend them money, you look after them, you go out of your way for them. He says, I want you to do that over your body because you are now my sisters and brothers in the Lord. And we are of the household of God. And the household of God always looks after its own. Always. And so... She went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons. And they brought the vessels to her and she poured out into the empty vessels. 
And as she poured that pot, she would have been amazed because it kept filling up these vessels and she poured one and got filled and she got the next one and got filled. She poured the next one and it became filled and she would have been getting really excited by this point and poured the next one. She'd be looking back in this pot thinking, oh my goodness, it's still got oil in it. Filled up that huge vessel and poured it into a little pot and it keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out because that's our God is a God of multiplicity and our God is a God of abundance and God doesn't do half blessings. He doesn't do quarter blessings. He either does blessings or he doesn't do blessings. He either does blessings or he doesn't do blessings. I got half healed. No, you didn't get half healed. Tell me you got half healed. I know. Why do I say that? Because our God does not do half blessings. He does blessings or no blessings. You're healed or you're not healed. God is for you or against you. I'm not half for you and half against you. That's not our God. You're either worldly or spiritual. Oh, I'm half-worldly, half-spiritual. No, 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 you cannot be half-worldly, half-spiritual. You're half-worldly, you're fully-worldly. Don't, don't believe in me. we're like that with God. It doesn't work like that. And so she's pouring out, and these vessels are getting full. And she gets to the end, and pour, and wins the next verse. Bring it up. She's probably getting excited by this time. And the son says, there's no more vessels. And then it says the oil ceased. She couldn't get any more out of it. Nothing would come out. No more vessels, no more oil. Stopped and stayed in the pot. I don't know if she tipped it up to see if she'd get in the hand. I don't know if she ran around her house and found, here, give me, some, give me your hat, turn your hat upside down, pour some into that, get some more oil. Nothing came out. It's finished, ceased. You see, because there's also a principle in that. There's lots of, lots of principles that come out of one of these stories. It's only seven verses long. But you see, the principle is... It's to a measure of faith. See, he said to her, go and get vessels and don't gather just a few. Get plenty. And, she, and however many plenty she got in faith, see, she went knocking on doors. Have you got a pot? If I send you out this afternoon, go out and get some pots, empty pots from your neighbours and anybody. My wife would shoot off down to the uh, uh, Salvation Army op shop and she'd get empty pots there. That's okay. He said, get them anywhere. Go to your neighbours, but get them anywhere. Get vessels. Some of us would go out. Some of you would go out. And after the third knocking on doors, you'd think, I've had enough of this. I'm going home. <laughs> I, got, I got four pots. That'll do me. Others of you... Maybe even in duty-wise, you'd think, no, he told me to go and get some more. I'm just going to go and get some more. Others of you would be think, no, no, God's going to do a promise in this and I'm just going to make sure his promise is able to be fulfilled in its abundance. And I'd find you six o'clock at night still knocking on doors. You started off in that street and now you're down in Onihangi and you're halfway to, to Mangari, still collecting pots, needing a trailer to bring them home. And each one of us here would have a different number of pots. And each one of us here, after we'd poured the oil, would have a different amount of oil in our house. Some of you would have trailer loads full of oil. Some of us would have enough pots to fill half a cupboard. But you see, it was dependent upon how many she got God didn't say the oil is going to run for five minutes and then it'll stop. No, 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 no. It was dependent upon how many. The oil ceased. 
There was a king of Israel, Jehoshuam, Jehoash. And Jehoash, the Syrian army were coming against them. And Elisha at that point was sick. And he was sick and he died of that sickness. But the king comes down to Elisha. And Elisha says, listen, get your bow and arrow. And he got to look out towards the east and he pulled the bow back. And he laid his hands on the king's hands and he said, fire the arrow. And the arrow shot out towards the east. And he said, that's how you're going to strike the Syrian army. Now he says, grab the grab your, your rest of your arrows in your hand and strike the floor. And he struck it three times and stopped. And Elisha was angry with him. And said, if you had struck it and struck it and struck it and meant it, God would have delivered the whole Syrian army into your hands. But you... You did it three times and stopped. And so you only have a little victory over them. And they will still be, in the years to come, a nation that will keep coming upon you. And he went. He had a little victory. But the Syrian army wasn't completely defeated. But it would have been. Because he didn't, by faith, grab those arrows and strike the floor. To say, right, we will annihilate that Syrian army. And it can be like that in our lives. Remember I said in the Old Testament it was natural? The New Testament is spiritual. I've got these things besetting me in my life. These things that need to be put in order. Okay, we have a course, Freedom in Christ course. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll really push into that. And for three weeks, I push in. And then I stop. Do I have complete victory? No. I have victory for a short time. And a year later, you'll find me back in the same spot again. Still saying these things in my life are holding back and besetting me and taking me along. Why? Because I didn't get those arrows and throw them on the floor and say, Lord, I am going to overcome in this and I'm going to, I can't overcome, Lord. You've only asked me to thrash these arrows on the floor. You've only asked me to go and pick up some vessels, which I can do. I will make sure I've got a trailer load of vessels in my house and I'll make sure I get those arrows and I will mash them on the floor and they'll be destroyed. And God says, and that's what I will do for you. So let's recap of what, oh, and then she said to them, and then she came, and she came now to whom? See, her view's changing, because she's seen this happen. She comes no longer to Elisha, she comes to the man of God. And in her heart, she knows that he's a man of God, because he told her unbelievable things. She came to him first, just to get him to help her. She even connived to get him to help her. Tried to put her husband in a very good light. Said, give me some help. And he tells her to go and get some vessels, which she does. Doesn't say how many. But she obviously got enough because she could pay her debt and she had enough to live on. And I believe she had enough to be a blessing unto her neighbours. And he said, go, sell the oil and pay the debt and you and your son shall live on the rest. So what did we learn from that? She learned that that pot of oil was far, 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 far greater than she ever thought. And she also learned it was the one and only thing that she needed to know. And the truth of us today, if you're saved, if you've given your heart to God, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he's that pot of oil. And don't believe the stories that, oh, it needs to be, it needs to be just coming upon me and me displaying the Holy Spirit to you. No, 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 don't believe that. 
if you have a pot of oil and God has a purpose for you, you can pour out and minister to see miracles to happen. Don't discount. Don't despise what you, what you have is a small thing. What you have is God within you. God of this universe, who created this universe. He resides within you. He is alive within you. And he is all-powerful within you. And he can move mountains within you. And he can do anything, and he is within you. Anything. Nothing is impossible, and he is within you. Do not believe. Do not believe he's not there. Do not believe that you have to go find him somewhere else. You know where you find him? In your quiet time. In your secret place. When you go and shut the door. And you'll find him. And you will find everything that he says he is to be. If you spend time searching for him. And if you spend time letting him speak to your heart. And she did three things to, to find that out, to exceed that value. She was obedient. Some of you will be sitting there saying, well, I'm sort of obedient. I do what the pastor tells me. I do what's expected of me, and sometimes what I think they expect is a bit onerous. Don't do something because the pastor asks you to do it. And I say that very carefully. <laughs> The pastor will speak to you the word of God and you are to hear it and you are to do that. But we're not to do it out of duty because then you haven't seen it. See, it's like when I spoke to that couple who came to me 20 years ago and I said to him, listen, you need to stop your carnal relationships with each other. And they didn't. And that was a word of God for them. And so everything I shared from that point on never went into their heart. It just bounced off. Why? Because the Satan stood there blocking it and deflecting it away and it never took root. And so they got married and then they got divorced. And although and of that good never comes in a sense. Not naturally. God can bring good spiritually. He can bring good out of anything. But it wasn't the purposes of God for them. So you've got to hear when it's the word of God. But don't do things out of duty. Do it because it comes willingly. Don't do it out of give 10%. Okay, I'll give my tithe. No, 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 no. Give because you've seen your God and you want to give with a joyful heart and you want to see his, his kingdom going forth and you want, you, want, you want him to be shared. Give. She exercised her faith. She went and did things. She did what she was asked to do. And she did it with faith, not out of duty. And she spent time alone with God. She shut the door. She, she spent time with what she valued at that point. And then she poured out. You know, once she saw that oil pouring out, and believe me, I believe a lot of those vessels went back to the people that she got them from, and they went back full, she would have been tempted like you and I would have been tempted. Wow, this oil is valuable. I'd like to keep some of this. But she'd only borrowed those vessels. She had to give those vessels back. They weren't given to her. She borrowed them. She had to give them back. 
You and I, we tend to keep it for ourselves. No, no, not you. I would have that thought of keeping it for myself. But she gave even when she was in need. She ministered even while she had need. She still had that debtor out there threatening to come to take her sons, but she was prepared to minister. She was prepared to pour out. Just as Christ came and poured himself out for us, she's pouring herself out for others, even while she is in need. And through that, she learned to be an overcomer. She learned what it was to overcome. She learned that no matter what the world would bring her way, she had the answer within her. And she had the answer around her. And she found that she had faith to believe and faith to take the steps to see them overcome. And that applies to us and it applies to the church. But I pray this morning that you find truth in what I've shared and you find the truth in some aspect of your life or some aspect of that story applies to your life. I pray that you see it and you say, yes, Lord, I need to learn to be an overcomer. I need to value that which God has given me. For we are different from the world, each one of you, if you've given your heart to the Lord. You are radically different from the world. Radically different from the world. Because you have the Holy, God, Holy Ghost living inside you. The Holy Ghost who is all-powerful. The Holy Ghost who can change circumstances. The Holy Ghost who can pour out and fill oils and take away all your debt. And one of just them on that, because I was talking about the sharing. God looks out and says, the fields are ripe for harvest. And then he says, pray unto the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Christ. And that tells me that there's a harvest to come. There's a great harvest to come. And a great harvest to come soon. And God says, pray. Pray that the Lord will send laborers. Not other laborers, yourself included. Pray that the Lord will break open, that you might be able to break open and share with people. That he'll give you the opportunity to share. Because the Lord of the harvest desires a harvest, and the Lord of the harvest will have a harvest. And a harvest will come upon this nation of New Zealand. Before Christ returns, we will see a harvest that will make you wonder why you didn't believe it. But it will be real. And there will be people walking through the doors of churches, drawn by the Holy Spirit. They've heard the word of God and they'll be seeking God and saying, how can I be saved? Because the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. But God tells us, while that's my purposes, he says, be part of it. Pray for the harvest. Seek him and pray for laborers. Pray to him who's Lord of the harvest. This world will not end up by just coming to a close with a remnant of being saved. It's the lie of the devil. This world will end up with a great harvest yet to occur because the Lord God is Lord of the harvest and he's not Lord of the harvest for nothing. He's not a God of the harvest and he's going to harvest a hundred out of millions. No, 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 no. When God brings a harvest, then he's going to bring a large harvest. That's our God. 
He does things abundantly and He does it mightily. And a harvest is coming. Prepare your hearts. A harvest is coming and learn what it is to be an overcomer. Because with the harvest and before the harvest will come times that will be straightened times. Times that will be constraining times. Times when wickedness will arise. But as wickedness arises, so will the great bright light of Jesus Christ. And the light of God is indescribable and darkness has to flee before it. It does not compete with darkness. It does not compete. If you start to see God, you are blinded by His brightness. And His brightness will come upon this world and there will be unsaved people in this world that will see God for the first time. And they will cry up to Him for salvation. And as He's Lord of the harvest, there will be a great harvest. Prepare our hearts. Prepare for what is coming. I'm, I'm saying that prophetically this morning. Prepare for what is coming. Because he's Lord of the harvest and he'll bring a harvest and he wants people ready for that harvest. And he wants ready people to partake in that harvest. Hallelujah.